0: Welcome to my podcast, Autism Connections. My name is Mary and I have an 18 year old son with autism. 16 years ago, I received the devastating diagnosis. It's through my connections I have made along the way that I have received so much love, support and guidance. It's my hope that by sharing these amazing connections with you and their experiences, that you also may be helped and learn much. Hi, everybody. We are back. Took a few weeks off here, but I am so excited today because I have my good pal, and I can also say one of my favorite people, Jamie. You're so sweet. Aw, so great to have you. I've been wanting to have you on for a while, and I'm so glad we actually are live and in person. I usually have people that aren't with me, and I have the pleasure of Being here with Jamie today, we have lots to discuss, but I wanted to start by just telling everyone a little bit about Jamie. Jamie came into my life about a year ago, actually. Do you believe it's been a year? I can't believe it. I know it's been a year. Jamie and I actually met uh, on uh, one of the via Facebook, of course. And for a year, we talked, we texted, we talked. And she has a lot of similarities with my story with T. And so I was just so excited, so excited to have her on today. So um, Jamie is actually mom to three fabulous boys. She has a set of twins who are how old, Jamie? 23. 23. Wow. And then uh, Luke, of course, is 21 years old. Jamie has been married for 27 plus years. She has a degree in social work. She lived in Minnesota and she moved to Illinois, which I want to talk to you about services, of course, in different places. And she worked in a transition program for over 10 years in special education, which is amazing, obviously. And plus, you got to work where Luke was, correct?
1: Yes, Luke went to school there.
0: That's awesome. I can't wait to talk a little bit more about that. So I am thrilled that you're here today, friend. Today, we're going to talk about advocacy. We're going to talk about residential, maybe splattering a little bit about funding. But I really wanted to have Jamie come on today because she has, she's someone when I met her and heard about her story and heard about her advocacy for Luke, was blown away, truly blown away. And also, she's someone who I see on Facebook in so many different groups, always helping other people, whether it's commenting, giving them, you know, some help and support, or even if it's just offering encouraging words, you help a lot of people, girl.
1: Thank you, Mary. You've helped me too.
0: Ah, we're here. We're in it together, (laughs) right? We can't do this alone. That is for sure. We need our tribe. So what I wanted to do is just by starting to give you uh, the opportunity to share your story a little bit about Luke, wherever you wanna start. Um, Well, Luke is 21. Uh,
1: He was seven when we moved to Illinois and uh, we were told, why are you moving here? Why are you moving to Illinois? It's the worst state to live in. And actually we found it to be a lot better than Minnesota at the time because of Luke's severity. He has profound autism. And we got funding within three weeks in Illinois. And in Minnesota at the time, it was off of your income, so we really didn't have much help. So we were thrilled when we moved here to get the funding. And then we had to search for the right school. And that's where the journey began.
0: Wow, yeah, and that's amazing, three weeks. Imagine, you know, nowadays it's like, at last I heard there were 25,000 on the wait list for services for puns, so I'm so grateful that you were able to get those services so quickly.
1: Yeah, we couldn't believe it. And even the caseworker said, I can't believe you're getting funding this fast. And at the time, um, we had gone through a lot to get here and to get to that point. But we had been sued by an aide in Minnesota, because Luke had pulled her hair um, as a kindergartner. So that that and the fact that he um, put his head through a window within the first couple of weeks of living in Illinois also was one of the reasons that we got the
0: crisis funding. So well, I'm grateful that you got that. You deserve that for sure. So let's talk a little bit about residential because you know that's where I am right now with Tommy, right? Yeah. Um, I've shared with some of you on my last couple of podcasts ago that Tommy is about four to six weeks away from going into a group home, um, which is about six miles from my house, but it will be a complete change in my life. Um, And one of the things that Jamie and I know to be true is it is so hard to find placement for our our kids. It's so hard to find placement. There are, are not enough agencies. There's not enough staffing. But one of the things that Jamie shared with me was her journey as it relates to really advocating to get what she needed for her son when she needed it.
1: Well, I will begin with COVID. I think we all um, can agree that was really tough on our families, on everybody, but for our kids with special needs that didn't understand why they weren't going to school, why they couldn't go to the store, why they couldn't keep their same schedules. It was very tough. And I had gone to um, Kirk School in Palatine with Luke for the past 10 years. Um, so I was his person that transported him. You know, I was with him on the bus. And so he wanted to go to school and um during covid when school would start and then it would stop it was really tough on luke and um he had some aggression we had to put him in the hospital and that's when we determined that he would need a residential school placement so um that was something i really didn't know about until another parent told me about it so i was very grateful to the friend that had um, discussed that with me uh luke was in the hospital for three months and we had to Look at all the residential schools that are approved by Illinois in order for um, placement, the ones that Illinois will send the kids to kids can live there full time. And so we had a plan for Luke to go to a school in Tennessee and he went there and he only lasted three weeks Ah. Uh, he had. To share a room which is something he wasn't used to but we were kind of desperate and we didn't know how things would go but we were thankful to have um, a place that we felt confident in however Luke ran away and um, they found him thank god he was safe and we had brought him back home and then we had to start the process of finding a new school and the only school that I could find, and because of my social work background, I had called every Department of Human Services in every single state in the country, asking what schools they had for autism, what help they had for autism, explain Luke's situation. I knew that he needed a secure um, type of school that, uh, where if he ran, he'd be safe. And the only school that I could find in the country at the time was Shrub Oak um, in New York. And that is where Luke currently
0: is. Wow. I can't even imagine all that advocacy you did. I could totally see you calling every single place. (laughs) It's like no stone left unturned by Jamie. Yeah,
1: we did have to get an attorney. And um, because Shrub Oak is a private school, it isn't licensed in the state of New York. So therefore, Illinois could not license it. Although they felt the school was appropriate, we did have to go to a hearing, and our school district uh, at the time was in agreement that Shrub was the best place for Luke. And my husband and I flew there to see it, and it is fenced in. So it's like 600 acres fenced in. It's like a college campus. They have now a farm on the facility. They have life skills houses. They have therapy. So we knew this was the best place for Luke. So when we went to the hearing, um, we actually, it was, us and our school district taking ISBE um, in the hearing because our school district also agreed with us. And the hearing officer came back and said, wow, like you have checked everywhere. And why aren't there more lists or more schools for our kids? And that's kind of where the journey begins. There aren't a lot of options for our kids that do have more you know, needs and need 24-7 supervision. So. Um, It was agreed that Luke would go to Shrub Oak, but our school district had to pay for it. So uh, what happened next is I, my social work background, I kind of said it's not really fair that we can afford an attorney, other people maybe can't, but they're in the same situation as I am, where the Shrub Oak is the only school. our kids can go to and so i called our legislator which i had met um when the legislation in illinois wanted to take the sensory rooms out of schools because i had worked at kirk for so long and seen them used appropriately my son calms down in a sensory room so much faster um and can come right back to class so we had met our legislator we had had legislators come into our building our superintendent at the time um dr judy hackett was pretty amazing with educating parents on how important it is to talk to your legislators to have them get to know you get to know your kids and that is important because when i called our legislator he knew who i was he had met luke before he had come to kirk school and toured it and i'll always be grateful to him for the help that he gave to us but he also heard luke's story and everything luke had to go through because really luke should have gone to shrub oak um, and not even gone to the tennessee school but at the time we just thought we have to take what is licensed by Illinois and um, but it wasn't safe and we were worried and thankfully, with the work of our legislation, they did pass a law where kids can go to show now, but there are a lot of factors that play into that determination.
0: What an impact, though, think of families after you I heard 14 families I think
1: there's close to 20 families unbelievable
0: Oak, yeah. Illinois so the other part is how great that they can send them there but the expense right yeah i mean which is good the expense okay what i mean by that's good is it's good the districts are held accountable but why the f can't they take all that money that they're sending out of state and build a community locally
1: I'm shaking my head, which, of course, you can't see because you're hearing the (laughs) podcast, but a lot of the parents. My son is 21. So at the time, he was 19. And if I had a son who was a lot younger, I probably would be fighting the legislation right now to build a school because it's not right that my other two kids could go to a fabulous high school. But my one son that's nonverbal, who can't communicate with me regularly. Is the one who is sent out of state, so I do have a lot of issues with that. But my bigger problem right now was finding a long-term
0: um, group home for my son when he graduates. Okay, so he's currently 21, and in June he's turning 22, and that's our journey in Wisconsin, girl. That's where that's that's why we moved to Wisconsin, right? For me, I had. I knew Tommy was going to need some sort of residential. Group homes were no longer an opportunity for me in Illinois. I almost placed him when he was 14, didn't, got him stabilized. And then when I started needing it again, I was told basically there's there's really nothing, nothing available, especially after COVID with all of the staff shortages and you know, everything that went along with that. So I decided to move to Wisconsin specifically for services, and am walking in faith right now because he's currently at his current at his program where they have a day program and 88 acres that are being developed, waiting to eventually have residential, which will be our forever homes for our kids. So we are walking in faith in a big, big way.
1: Yeah, that's kind of how Mary and I met. I think I stalked her a little bit on Facebook um, and she's been so wonderful. And I think that's so important to have a community of parents because that is where you find your best information, most accurate information. And just one of the reasons why I joined like the National Council of Severe Autism, I attended a state advocacy meeting last night um, because it's really important to help other parents through this journey because if we didn't have our son, we would not even realize what life would be like with a child like our son who we adore and love and who is wonderful in so many ways, but also very challenging too. And that's another part of being an advocate because I don't think if we didn't live this life, how can we expect someone else to understand what our lives are like, I guess. But um, advocacy is so important and just having other parents. And now I am looking for, we live in Illinois, but looking to move just so that we can, Find a group home for Luke for forever. I to ECT treatments and the effects of those. And Amy Lutz uh, is has her doctorate. She is a parent of a child named Jonah, and she has books written about him and how the ECT treatments had um, helped her son. I've never done that with Luke, but um, I kind of researched her, looked into her, and joined like a national council now on severe autism because this cancel culture. And it, every time you say something about autism, you get, you know, there's somebody with a comment about how I, I shouldn't say my son has autism or I shouldn't say autism is great. Well, autism isn't always great. And um, so I, ha- I just thought to myself, I have to do better on getting more awareness for kids like my son that don't have autism and or that have autism, but can't go to Harvard. Yeah, never will.
0: Yeah, ECT, remind us what that stands for.
1: Oh, it's the elect, um, electrolytic
0: convulsive therapy. therapy. Okay, very good. I, I, I thought that was what it was, but I just wanted to clarify for anyone else that was curious. Yeah, advocacy is is definitely key. What did you do with legislation as far as your involvement? How did you get legislators to listen to you? Did you call them? Did you write letters? What did you do?
1: superintendent again at the time Dr. Judy Hackett would invite legislators to um, meet at the um, district office NSSEO in Mount Prospect and she would tell us like parents you need to come you need to meet these people you need to share your story because they don't know and at the time it was more about services for adults and their future because I work in transition and help create jobs for kids like my son, and we know their possibilities. So she would have them come out, maybe it was quarterly at the time or something. And I actually, when it was in the paper about the padded the, the sensory rooms in schools and they wanted to take them out, that's when I really got heated because I thought, wow, I've seen them staff work amazing, work amazing with students. And I've seen when they don't have sensory rooms or calming rooms, I've seen staff chase kids around all day. I mean, it, it, so that's, I don't know.
0: What was the issue with that? I mean, I I, I mean, I wa- I want to learn more about that because I know that they, all of a sudden they're like, you can't have these rooms. What was the, was it someone sue or was there, what what happened and how do they determine what's the difference between a sensory room, a calming room and what they took away? Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah.
1: Well, it was in the the Chicago Tribune where kids were being abused and locked in rooms for, okay. and I I do agree, there yeah. are places that absolutely use those rooms inappropriately and shouldn't be using them and they shouldn't be in every school, but in level four schools where they're used appropriately, where I have worked and my son was going to school and I have seen the most amazing staff be kicked and hit and beat up and where I've seen kids be able to go into one of those rooms and come out and be able to go back to class within five minutes, I thought I have got to do something because legislation doesn't see the other side of how these rooms are effective and can work wonders for the kids that need desperately need them. I, I did agree that some schools shouldn't have them and some people can be using them wrong, but that's everywhere. Right. Did they change that? They didn't for level fours so level fours can still keep the rooms however they do have regulations on like rooms being locked and and who can have them i know for our school they took them out they have sensory rooms but there's no doors and things
0: like that right so. and some of these students need the doors mm-hmm. i have a friend who has a room in her home and her son is nonverbal. he utilizes a letter board and has you know to communicate but he asks to go into that room because he knows it, what the intention is he can calm down and won't go after mom etc so i think you hit the nail on the head is they just legis- they need to see both sides they need to it can't be just black or white you, you know we can't have these because this one thing happened they need to have a better understanding of the value of having this some of these calming rooms for sure
1: And it started, there was a legislator in Buffalo Grove who actually um, was put in a padded room as a kid. And that kind of started, uh, I think the legislation and I had reached out to him and I'm like, I understand they're not used appropriately for kids. You shouldn't even have been in, in one, but for kids that need them, they can be awesome. So that kind of started my introduction into talking to your legislators, how important that is in informing them, meeting them, getting to know them, getting them to know your child, what you're going through. It absolutely helped when I needed residential placement for my son. And I, I really didn't care who had to pay for Shrub Oak. I really just thought it should be an option for any kid that needs it that is sitting in a hospital or doesn't have a current appropriate school. And I also worked with meta um, legislature legislator when my son, um, I had applied for medical marijuana for my son in Illinois. And We have tried, um, documented many different medications and I thought I wanted to try this, but someone had said it takes a really long time to get a medical marijuana card. And I actually met one of the legislators that passed the law in Illinois and I had gotten the card within a month's time. And and that told me right there how important it was for you to meet your legislator and for them to know who you are and who your child is. And if if you wanna increase um, opportunities for
0: your child, that is a great place to start. Absolutely, totally agree with that. So if anyone's out there and you get those Facebook posts saying, please sign here for this new bill that's going into effect, it can be as simple as that for sure, just reaching out. I actually, when I was in Naperville, a Senator had a round table, this was right before COVID and we all showed up. There's probably about 30 parents that were there. It was organized by A para pro from my son's school, his, if you can follow this, from his son's school, the mother got the senator in to hear our voices and a lot was brought up about what needs to change. And then COVID hit. And there really wasn't any, honestly, there wasn't any follow up after that. We had some really heartfelt, there were a lot of tears in that meeting shared with her. And I really appreciate the fact that, you know, she showed up, but I think also closing the loop is really important after a meeting and everything and just staying visible I need to learn more about that here in Wisconsin. Now that I'm here, you know, get, get connected more and everything. So what do you think we need to do collectively as parents of special needs kids to advocate? Like, what can we do? Can you think of anything? I don't know.
1: It's funny that you say that because I had attended a meeting just last night with um, Susan Goldstein. She's an advocate, parent advocate, and was in the legislation in Florida. Um, last night it was on Zoom for parents all across the country who are starting a grassroots kind of organization to get our kids to get information to legislators. So she had mentioned about going to different community meetings where your legislators are going to be at, town meetings. Um, Besides just calling them and getting to know them, attend some groups. When I first moved to Illinois, I went to an autism walk. And I thought, because I don't know any parents here, I don't, I can't just ask the neighbor to babysit um, with my son's, you know, needs. So, you know, get to know the community around you and meet parents. So, because voice, the more numbers you need, you need There's power in numbers, so I would say just getting out there and getting to know people in your community and who have the same beliefs and cause that you're fighting for is important.
0: Absolutely. I think that's that's key. All right, Jamie, here's a big question for you. Since I'm going to be going down the path of placement for Tommy uh, in a few weeks, what is your biggest suggestion that you would communicate to a parent like myself or any other parent that's getting ready to make a placement?
1: I would say, talk to other parents who have placed their kids. When um, my son went to Shrub Oak, we started a Facebook group, a private group so that parents would have support. It's not easy. Uh, I still cry and my son's been there for almost two years and, you know, he's nonverbal. And so, you know, we set up, phone calls and stuff with him every week. And we are lucky enough to fly out to see him once a month. But the other parent support, uh, just how to get through every day and like ideas of
0: like, I don't know. No, that's good. Can you, there's there's a lot of I'm on a couple Facebook groups right now. And to be honest with you, it saved my butt in a lot of ways. Uh, I don't want to give up, I don't want to have somebody else, I don't want to entrust anybody else with taking care of T-24-7. I've been doing it for 18 years, but I know I need to, I have to. I'm a single mom, I'm 60 in February, how the hell did that happen? But I know that it's something I have to do, and I was going to do it anyways once Matthias has residential. That's my plan, right? Yeah but I wasn't. I'm I'm going into a group home um, that's been around since the 80s, and it's not far from my home, and other parents at Matthias actually have their kids there, and I've heard good things about the agency, but, you know, mom, no one else is going to do it like mom, and, you know, I just have to, you know, be okay with that, and that's, that's helped me a lot, too. I mean, you know, it's easy when you're having good days and we're having some really good days over here. It's really easy for me to second guess this.
1: I think the first thing I usually tell parents when they say, what was it like placing Luke? I say, it's not home, but you have to get to know the staff around you and they are there to help you. I realized that when my son graduates, I always thought my son would live with me forever. And when COVID hit, it. Made us decide that no, this isn't going to be the safest choice for me, but it's also not the best choice for him because we've seen him grow in ways that. He never would have probably grown at home because I did a lot of things for him and now he's become more independent, he is very happy after we visit he happily walks back into school where you know they're all talking to him and so. I always just tell parents, remember, it's not home and be kind to staff because staffing is such a huge issue. And I'll read posts on Facebook where parents are mad because a teacher didn't do this or a teacher didn't do that. And I'm like, well, did you talk to the teacher and tell them about your child? When when my son first went to Shrub Oak, I made visuals for the staff because I don't know how many new kids are going to school that day. And I want to make sure Luke can't You know, my son can't tell them this is what I eat for breakfast. This is the only thing I'll eat for lunch. This is the only thing I'll eat for dinner. So I made sure that he had the tools and the staff had the tools on what to use. Don't just assume the staff, you know, just know on day one that all these things about your child, you have to really stay involved, get to know the staff, be kind to the staff because they are with your child Um, and just remember. It's not home and you are gonna have to accept some differences and that things aren't always gonna be done the same way, but they can also come out the other side being a lot more independent in ways that you never
0: realized. Right, and that's what I want for Tommy because I am the hover mom. (laughs) I am the hover mom that can read his mind (laughs) like no one else. But you know, I mean, I know I'm not alone when I say this. Other moms out there, you know that like our kids, how much we love them and how attached we are to them. They connect with us in a lot of ways that are, you know, I mean, safety is, we usually get the beating, the lashing, the grab, the whatever, whatever it is, you know, whatever happens when there's aggression, we're the safe one, we're the safe one they go to. And, you know, that's sometimes what leads us to make these decisions that we have to for the safety of everybody. But I love what you said about Luke, when you were saying his independence, he's eating more stuff. Cause like, I'm just in visualizing, tommy's not going to eat anything but this this and this you know but you know what he he may and he's putting on
1: his own shoes now like he um, used to just wear crocs now he's wearing tennis shoes he's getting his socks on by himself he has um he walks all the time with staff too which i think is wonderful and something that i wasn't always comfortable doing alone with him um but you know, even just getting out of the shower and the way he towels off now, and I'm just so proud of him in other ways that I thought he he wouldn't maybe have done I would I'm too, you know, hovering, I guess, like when he's at home, I just want to make his life perfect. And things in life aren't going to be perfect. And my biggest worry was what's going to happen when I'm gone, like, I will most likely die before him. And so I need to make sure he's safe, and that he can be as independent as possible. And just trusting God that you know, things are going to work out. And I also didn't just assume that the school had everything my son needed. So we sent a handicap like a, an adult swing because I know that's how my son calms down. We have one in our backyard. We had one at Kirk School. And I thought, I don't just assume this school has everything my son is going to need. And um, I wanted to make sure he had it. So we sent like a handicap bike. We have an adult swing and and they are just it's a fairly new school. They opened during COVID, um, like right before, I think. Really. But um, they do have a sensory room now, and things are really happening there, and it's a wonderful place. But like, I didn't just assume that the staff would know everything or they would have everything. So it's it's you should absolutely stay involved wherever your child goes. But yeah,
0: I think that's really good advice. Really good advice. Well, I am so thrilled that we got to do this, girl, today. Really, really, and truly, I think that. We said what we needed to say. I always say that, you know, I say, it's just a chit-chatty conversation. Don't, don't be, don't be too worried. We just kind of go with it, go with the flow. And I think that you brought some really good points up today. So thank you, friend.
1: Thank you, Mary, for having me.
0: Uh, you're, you're so welcome. All right, everybody. This closes up another segment of Autism Connections podcast. Feel free to share this with anyone that you think would benefit. Have a wonderful day.